0: Welcome. You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning. Like I mentioned before the service, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We have two services at noon at 7. Ash Wednesday kicks off the liturgical season known as Lent. Lent is the 40 days that lead up to Easter. Now, if you count them out, you'll say, well, that's not 40. Okay, it's 40 days. It's the time, except Sundays. We don't count Sundays because Sundays are always Resurrection Day. And so as these 40 days of self-reflection, repentance, introspection as we think about our spiritual lives. We're going to do a sermon series on spiritual practices. If you're at a place of stagnation in your spiritual life, you feel like you're not growing at all, spiritual practices are ways that have developed and disciplines that have developed over the years to help us grow in our faith. Scripture memorization, prayer, fasting, things like this. And so we're going to take each Sunday and focus in on one of them. And it's going to be really fun. I really look forward to it. Well last week Carrie preached an inspiring sermon on why God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. She preached from Genesis 12 and she told the story of God's making a covenant, a promise to Abraham. It's named Abram here, he'll be named Abraham later. But it's a promise to make his name great, to give make him a great family, more than the stars in the sky he says, and give him land. And so God calls Abram to go where God was going to show him. And so Abram takes his wife, Sarah, his little nephew, Lot, and they go to the land of Canaan, the land of Bethel and Ai, the streams of the Negev. And drama unfolds when a famine strikes the promised land, and Abraham has to take Sarah and his little nephew, Lot, and they all go to Egypt. And things happen in Egypt Because Abram fails to disclose that Sarah is his wife. He tells everybody that she is his sister. So Pharaoh takes her into his house. And when that happens, God sends plagues. And then Pharaoh's furious when he finds out that she is Abraham's wife. And so he gives them a bunch of presents and kicks them out of Egypt. And so then Abram, his wife Sarah, his little nephew Lot, return to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And that's where our text is going to pick up today. It's Genesis 13. Let us open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He journeyed on by stages from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been, At the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them living together, for their possessions were so great that they could not live together. And there was strife between the herders of Abram's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herders and my herders, for we are kindred. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lot looked about him and saw that the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Rise up, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I ask that you might be our teacher. Lord, this is an obscure text, Genesis 13. It is it possible that you might have a word to speak to us. And so I answer that question by asking that by you, by your spirit, might speak to our hearts as only you can speak. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing, our sight, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. I've heard it said, you can't go home again. Do you know that feeling? As I've mentioned before, I grew up in an extremely religiously rigorous household. Marks of our rigorousness were we weren't allowed to listen to secular rock music. We weren't allowed to eat sugar cereal. And we were not allowed to play Video games. When I graduated from high school, I could not wait to get out of town. <laughs> I went to college, went to grad school, finally got my first job here in Georgia. And everywhere I went, I remember harboring a real resentment about where I came from. Everywhere I went, I would tell people, You would not believe where I come from. They didn't let me listen to secular rock music. They didn't let me eat sugar cereal and they didn't let me play video games. And then, on a visit home in 2006, the most surprising thing happened. Why do I know it was 2006? Well, because that's the year they released the Nintendo Wii. (laughs) I came home for a visit where eating pizza bread on a Friday night. And my mom says, hey, Jeff, after dinner, do you want to play some Nintendo Wii? I said, what? You have a Nintendo Wii? You have a video game system? I thought the 11th commandment was, thou shalt not play video games. I said, Jeff, yes. It's so much fun. You can be in your living room on your couch and you can go hunting. You can play tennis, race car drive. Oh, it's amazing, the comfort of your own home. And I was like, I cannot believe this. What has happened to my home? What has happened? Can it be home? If there's a Nintendo Wii there, you can never go home. I know I'm not alone. Every Sunday people tell me stories, you know? You know that housing development? That's where we used to play cops and robbers as kids. Last week somebody said, "You know 400? That's where we used to take our horse and buggy <laughs> down the road." The historic sanctuary, I remember when we didn't need a piano to sing. That gym We were old school. We didn't need no three-point line. When I went to school, we walked uphill both ways. You can't go home again. Change is a part of the human experience. Things change when you're away, and when you come home, it's just not the same. This phenomenon led the great American writer Thomas Wolfe to conclude his book, you can't go home again with these words. You can't go back home to your family, back home to your childhood, back home to a young man's dreams of glory and of fame, back home to the places in the country, back home to the old forms and systems of things which once seemed everlasting but which are changing all the time, back home to the escapes of time and memory. You can't go back home. And one of the things that fascinates me about Genesis 13 is this is the first time in the Bible we see someone return to where they came from. They go back home. In Genesis 1 and 2, we saw God create the cosmos. Genesis 3, the first humans rebel against God. We see the disobedience and sin enter the world. Genesis 4, we see a brother murder his brother. The first act of violence. Genesis 5, we have a genealogy. Genesis 6 through 9, we read the story of Noah's ark and God's judgment on creation and said he'll never do that again. Genesis 10, we have another genealogy. Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel and the diversification of human language. Genesis 12, which Carrie preached on last week, we see God's covenant promises with Abram, the people of God. And he calls Abram to the land of Canaan, to this new home. And then because of a famine, he takes Sarah and his little nephew Lot And they go to Egypt. And because of the shenanigans in Egypt, he gets kicked out of Egypt and he has to go home. He has to return. I think one of the questions before us is how will we deal with the fact that when we go home, our home has changed and we have changed. For Abram, the text emphasizes his return home. In two places. In verse 4, I don't know if you noticed, look at this. He journeyed on by stages from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Saying so he's returning back to his starting place, he's going home again. And the text highlights this fact in the very next verse. He went to the place where he had made an altar at the first. Abram had made an altar between Bethel and Ai, to remember that he had been there before. To remember. And the text is saying, Abram is returning home to the place where it all began. But things have changed since he left. The winds of change have blown across the desert. Decay has hit the altar. Abram's changed. He's extremely wealthy now. He has a lot of people with him. He's got great possessions. And so the question is, will Abram continue to move? But where will he go? There's this great story that the explorer Robert F. Scott used to tell about how his howling search for the South Pole in Antarctica. He said at one point a whiteout occurred where the expedition could not tell the difference between the snow and the line on the horizon. Everything was right. It was a total whiteout. As they rode their sl- sleds along, they noticed they kept coming across their tracks and they realized they were going in circles. And if they, if they kept this up, it would mean certain death. So they figured out what they would do. They started packing snowballs and they would throw them ahead of each other. And so that way they would know that they were following a straight line and they, with a compass, they found the South Pole. They could find it because they knew where their true South was with their compass and those snowballs just going ahead to know that they weren't going in circles. And I think that's a metaphor kind of for the human experience. That most of us are making our way through life, but we're wondering, am I making progress or regress? I disciplined my child. Did I do it the right way? Is he gonna grow up to hate me or love me? Progress or regress? I changed my career path. Was that such a good idea? Is it going to open up new opportunities, or is it going to lead to a dead end? I chose some kind of medical care. Is this going to lead to my healing or further illness? It's hard to know in life. Will it lead to progress or regress? And most of us can only, we can only judge by the benefit of hindsight looking back on our lives. But going forward, we have no idea. We're like Abram, throwing little snowballs ahead of us trying to find our North Star as we journey through life. And Abram's come home. And he's discovered there's not enough food for everyone. There's not enough room. Home has changed. It cannot support them all. And so no, notice what Abram does in verse 4. He builds, a, he builds an altar. He makes an altar. He erects an altar to, to worship, to venerate, to remind himself that he's been there before, that God is gone with him. And the altar is like Abram's little snowball of life, marking where he's come from and maybe where he's going. See, rarely does God show us the entire path. We just throw our little snowball in life and hope we're going in the right direction. I wonder if the reason is, is that's all we can handle. The central question in my mind, In Abram's return home, has he grown as a human being? Has he learned anything from his life? You see, in Genesis 12, it doesn't say this explicitly, but if you read between the lines, he goes to Egypt, and you never hear him call upon the name of the Lord or any mention of God. When he leaves, and not until he returns, do we see him invoke or call upon the name of the Lord. See, the crisis strikes in the form of a famine in Egypt, and he's got to come home. And he takes Sarah, his wife, his nephew Lot, and they return home. And once he gets there, he builds this altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. And it's as if the text is saying, that calling on the name of the Lord reorients all his future decisions. He's a changed man. And so he calls... His little nephew, Lot, over. He says, there's too many of us for the land. We need to separate. This is a remarkable act. Remember, Abram's the guy that tried to save his skin by lying that his wife was his sister and shipping her off into the Pharaoh's house. He's a fairly self-interested guy. And yet here he comes. In Genesis 13, and invites Lot over and says, you pick, you decide what you want. It's as if Abram is allowing Lot the freedom to be who he is going to be. He allows him the freedom to his own adventure, to his own mistakes, to his own risks. He doesn't try to trap him in an ancient past of his idea of who he used to be, but he sets him free to be his own man. It reminds me of a brilliant observation that Bruce Springsteen makes in his Broadway show. He also talks about it in his autobiography, and many of his songs are about it. It's in reference to his relationship with his own father, but also has to do with him to his kids. He says this: "We are ghosts, or we are ancestors in our child in our children's lives. We either lay our mistakes and our burdens upon them, and we haunt them as ghosts, or we assist them in laying those old burdens down and we free them from the chains of our own flawed behavior. And as ancestors, we walk alongside of them, assisting them to find their own way and some sense of transcendence. Abraham assists his little nephew Lot and sets him free to be who God has called and created him to be. This is what it means to come to a place we used to know as home and see it afresh, and see it anew, and set people free to be who God has created and called them to be. Last November was the first time we took both of our kids back to my hometown. And I was really worried about how it was gonna go. Were they going to experience the same rigorous place that I remember? I saw the Nintendo Wii sitting on the TV console. No one touched it. About halfway through our stay one night, we were all gathered there in the living room. My mom walks in, and she has this big bag, and it's full of what looked like giant cotton balls. And she takes one out. And to my four-year-old son, she says, it's a snowball fight, and pelts him in the face. And all of a sudden, a snowball fight breaks out in the living room. And I thought to myself, what has my home become? Like Abram, you go home to a place, but it's a new place. God has invited you not to the past, but to something much greater. To free others and to free yourself, to become who God has created and called you to be. Just like Abram did. Just like Lot did. Just like Sarah did to that great future of freedom that God gives to each of us. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I pray, Lord, that we might free ourselves and free one another to be who God has created and called us to be, not to trap one another in an ancient past to who they used to be, but set them free in grace and freedom to be who you have created and called us to be. We thank you. May we have the courage to take that call up. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our Digital Friendship Register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.